Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Tom, we got an awesome show today. Where, where do you see this guest? He's Boston through and through, but he's a legend in Canada, oh, I in know. Montreal. I he's got one is. of the greatest nicknames in hockey history, and a uh, former Ranger as well. We got Chris Knuckles Nyland. Uh, as soon as you were describing, I knew it was him. Max, what's happening, brother? How are you? Yeah, Tom, how are you? Good to see you again, Bill. Yes. It's funny. Chris and I played against each other, but didn't know each other. And then we did a uh, panel discussion from uh, Zoom from up in Toronto. That was interesting. Uh, that's first actually the first time I really heard all your story. And uh, we, the, 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 excuse me, the Toronto lawyers were very interesting too. They were talking about their lifestyle and everything. So it was pretty cool. You guys didn't yeah. fight, did you? No, we never fought. I didn't want to stay away from him. I'm not fighting him. No, no. I listen. Tom was honest, player, hard working player, good defenseman. Uh, always had respect for him. Um, you know, I, you look at guys on other teams, you know, and you yeah. wonder what he'd be like as a teammate, yeah. totally. you, you know, and yeah, you're one of those guys I found to, Probably and and Heron, obviously when I got to the Rangers from Gresh that you were a good teammate and a good guy. Um, it just uh, solidified what uh, I was thinking when I played against you. Yeah, very good, very good. You're a battler too, I'll tell you. Um, okay, so uh, starting off, then where'd you grow up? Where's home for you? I grew up in Boston, uh, uh, neighborhood there, West Roxbury, predominantly Irish neighborhood, and uh, yeah, you know I'm a product of the. The Bobby Orr, uh, Big Bad Bruins era, you know, growing up watching them as a kid uh, got me interested in hockey. Good. Now, were you a tough kid growing up? Um, you know, I wasn't a real big kid, but um, I was the type of kid that, you know, listen, my father was a Green Beret and uh, wow. discipline was at a premium in my household. And you know, I was a little crazy, did some stuff, but my father disciplined me and he disciplined me with his hands oh he did and i was the type of guy that uh you know listen if i wanted to live in that house i kind of had to take it from him right but um i was scared shit of him you know right. but when i went out the front door i wasn't taking fucking shit from anybody there it was okay. just like you know i had this attitude that no and no one's gonna lay a hand on me touch me or fucking put me down or there's gonna be a problem and i i think that certainly you know, that attitude developed because of my upbringing. Right. So were you a pretty good player when you started? Not really. You know, I started public skating. That's how I started skating. First time I ever skated was on a puddle in a parking lot up the street from my house. Froze. Oh. My father took me up there, threw a pair of big old skates on me, and I was flopping around. Yeah. Then uh, they st- uh, built a hockey rink at the end of my street, and – they had public skating. They hadn't started the hockey yet. So I went up there every day and public skated. Huh. Even when they started hockey, I was about seven uh, the first time I played in um, in a league, a house league. And then uh, even when I started hockey, I used to go up and skate all the time because I loved skating. I just loved it. And and then the hockey started. And I was an okay player. I wasn't – I didn't – believe me, I didn't rip it up. I was an okay player. And um, I, I loved it. I loved playing hockey. Um, I, I practiced a lot down the schoolyard next to my house. The school near my house called Catholic Memorial, where I went to high school, um, 
you know, there's basketball nets down there and there was an awesome brick wall. And part of the wall was, you know, was you don't have window here, window here, and they had cages on the windows. Oh yeah. And there was a section between two of the windows that was all brick and it was kind of like a net. We used it as a net. Right. And I used to um I used to um shoot pucks off that wall all the time, play street hockey down there. So yeah, I was hockey, hockey, hockey all the time uh, once I got going, and I, I absolutely loved it, you know? Yeah, so it seems like like you're talking about your father. He's pretty disciplinary, but he seems like he's a good man, too, like getting you to the rink and getting Oh, man, yeah. You know, my father certainly a um, man of morals and his values. He's the type of guy who worked his ass off his whole life. You know, he had, you know, he's 18 years old. My mother was 17 when I had my oldest sister. Um, he he had to get to work right away, and he did. Um, you know, he he joined the army, and then he was in the reserves. I think till like he was fifty five or something. Mm-hmm. So they finally kicked him out. He used to jump out of planes, all that okay, crazy. Man. Oh wow! Yeah, but he um, you know, he's a jungle expert. He's scuba diver, everything. You know, and he taught me a lot of stuff, my dad. But yeah, we he. Man, he he supported me, dragged us around the rinks, you know, rode my friends. If he wasn't driving, one of my friends' fathers wasn't driving. He was. Um, yeah, he was a, certainly a big part of uh, who who Chris Nyland is today in a big way. That's cool. So growing up then playing hockey, did you start fighting at a young age? Or? You know, not in hockey because oh. you couldn't, right? Um, I um, fought a lot in the street, you know, uh hanging around my friends, going in the bars and shit in Boston, getting in stupid fights over stupid shit, you know, uh, looking at someone the wrong way, you know, craziness. Uh, Always a kid who stuck up for my friends, family. You know, I got that from certainly my dad. My dad was big on, um, you know, not really. I've seen him. I've seen my father (laughs) do some shit a couple of times. People come by the house one night, a bunch of kids, about six of them, and, you know, they knocked all the barrels over. They had them out the night before because they pick up the trash on Friday. Say, oh, come by, kick the barrels over. He went out the house. I remember the kid grabbed the kid, told him to pick him up. The kid said, fuck you. He smacked him. He dragged him up the fucking street. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw that as a kid, and I I liked that, you know. And then, you know, my sister, uh, when she was born, my youngest sister, he, he he was at Brigham's by uh, my mother a Sunday to go up to the hospital. And a couple of guys come out of the bar, the bar in the corner and uh, have words with my father. One of them was calling, hey, fucking four eyes. My father fucking cracked him, put him through the window of Brigham's. And, you know, he showed up at the hospital the Sunday, fucking all cut up. And, wow. But, you know, it, that's the way it was. I remember one night. My sister Susan, it was a Friday night around 10 o'clock, and kids were coming from the rink, public skating. Girls yelling, Susan, you suck, you fucking whore, this, that, right? So my father says, Susan, who's that? I don't know, some kid, uh, they're a bunch of assholes, always give me a hard time. So my father says, get get your jeans on, get dressed, let's go. Put Put her in the car, went up the street. He caught up with the kids. My father got out of the car. He said, who got something to say now? And um, the girl said, me, fuck you. And my sister kicked the living shit out of her. Ripped her hair out of her head. Fucking ripped. Had her fucking clothes half off. She went fucking bananas on this chick. And that was the last time. You know, it never happened again. No one come back. So, you know, my that's how my dad was. Yeah, you know, it's right or it's wrong. Uh, stand up for yourself. Uh, yeah. If you don't, you're gonna get fucking run over in life. Right, it stops. And you were the same way as a player too. That's the way you played. Like you didn't fight just to fight. You fought for a purpose, right? Yeah, you know. I listen. I, people, I did you like it? I loved my job. Listen, was it hard? Of course it was. It's tough to fight National Hockey League. Fighting guys bigger than you. You know, guys who grew up fighting and on the ice. I never did was always on the street and you know um I, I love my job i love sticking up my teammates i love being there for my teammates yeah. there were times certainly i fought for myself because there were times i had to fight for myself but majority of the time it was for my teammates yeah 
So you, you finished high school. Where'd you go to college? I went to Northeastern. I, I went to Catholic Memorial for four years. I was 17 years old most of my senior year. So uh, my guidance counselor, who was also my hockey coach, Bill Hansen, um, recommended that because senior year, I was like, well, fuck, everybody's going off to college. I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford that. So, you know, I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, and um, I went to see Coach Hanson. He said, listen, you ever think of going to prep school? You're a young senior. So take a year of prep. So uh, I went up to Northwood School up in Lake Placid, New York, mm-hmm. and interviewed with them. I got recommendation by Judge King, uh, who was a hockey coach of mine, a judge uh, in one of the toughest courts in Boston, awesome guy. And the judge wrote me a recommendation. I got in. I got scholarship money. It was still expensive at the time. I think uh, at the time it was like five thousand uh, tuition there, and I my dad had to pay fifteen hundred for that one year for me. So we got a lot of money um, off the tuition, but it was a it's still at that time fifteen hundred bucks. Was so this time, then you're the you're the wild kid. My dad. Sure. You know. So this time you're the wild kid on the street. You're fighting all the time, but it seems like you're keeping your education up. Your hockey's going well, right? Yeah, hockey's going good. I had a great year when I went to prep school. And, you know, I, I got the most improved uh, student and most improved athlete that year. I went up and, you know, I made a promise to the judge, who certainly was a big backer of mine. I could tell you more about him in a minute. But the judge uh, absolutely loved me. He saw something in me that, you know, I guess I didn't see in myself. And he really um, was a um, – he, he went to bat for Chris Island in a big way. And, um, you know, he coached me, uh, Bantam, Midgets, and the team called Hub City. It was an all-star team of city kids. And the judge used to always talk to me about the Montreal Canadiens. He was friends with Doug Harvey and Dickie Moore. And the judge and I, uh, he helped me get into prep school. Uh, The judge were good friends with Fernie Flamin. So after that year of prep school, Fernie was coaching Northeastern. Uh, I got a scholarship to Northeastern, full ride, because of the judge. Wow. I'm here at Northeastern. I'm there after my second year. I get drafted by the Montreal Canadiens in the 17th round, 231 out of 235. Now, I say that because it was the judge who was responsible for that, and I didn't know to the end of my career. Oh. He was good friends with Dickie and Doug. Doug was scouting at the time. Dickie was in business. Dickie went to see, along with Doug, went to see um, a general manager at the time, Sam Paul, and said, listen, can you do me a favor? Very good friend of mine down in Boston. Um, he has a kid he really likes. He plays at North. Can you? Can we just draft him? Just take him with your last pick or whatever and wow. so he can come to training camp. And we, Anyway, that's how I got drafted. And wow. I found out at the judge's funeral, uh, Dickie Moore was there, and we went out afterwards, and we talked, and he said, you know, I, I said, I always suspected something was up there, because, but he said, the judge never wanted you to know, but uh, he was responsible for getting you drafted. It, you know, he came to me, and I mean, it's a hell of a story. And yeah. just, the judge was so, so awesome. Arthritis, he was all hunched over. You know, he would sit in that bench all day in Dorchester District Court, and and, you know, deal with the crazy shit that he had to every day. He had six kids of his own, one boy down syndrome. And, you know, he would on that bench all day, come down get on the ice at night, you know, after, after being there a couple times a week. And he just loved hockey and he loved coaching kids. And he's just such, you know, not for him. Um, I would have never been near the National Hockey League. No one, no one would have saw me at Northeast and said, "Oh, let's draft right. that kid." Yeah. You know, right. it was never happening. So, the judge uh, certainly uh, responsible for a lot of that. Uh, in my at that point, did you think you had a chance of playing in the National Hockey League? You know, um, realistically, no. But in my head, I'm saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna find a way to get this done." And all I needed was that chance. And that's what the judge told Dickie Moore. He said, listen, just draft Chris. And the judge said this. He'll do the rest. And Dickie was like, oh, that's pretty. Anyway, I, I did do the rest. I got to camp. 
I ended up getting sent to um, Halifax. And, you know, I had a five-game tryout down there. I remember almost uh, got in a fight in the exhibition game. And I don't know. You remember Dave Allison? Yeah, sure. Big guy. Redzy? Well, yeah. Redzy uh, was on the bench. And I I got in a little shoving match with uh, Bam Bam Belanger. And Bam Bam uh, was one of the toughest guys in Quebec League. Came up, was tough in the A. Anyway, we pushed and shoved. We come back to the bench and Dave – Allison looks on the bench. He goes, hey, fucking college kid. Fuck, what are you trying to start a brawl? You ever been in a fucking brawl before? And then, hey, fuck you. You don't know what a brawl is. What is a fucking brawl? And, you know, we have words. And the coach at the time was Bert Templeton. Oh, wow. And Bert, you know, he was. Oh, he loved fighting. Yeah. And, Destiny and all that. Bert was yeah. like, he always had a tough team. Yeah. So, and he didn't like college kids. Anyway, I go out the next shift and I fucking drop him. I give it to Belanger. Now, now Redzi's like, he he's like, how the fuck did this kid know how to play college kid, right? And you know, now I, I had I, I didn't talk to him rest of training camp and right into the beginning of the season. And my first game in Maine, I didn't have a contract. Five game tryout, two hundred dollars a game I was getting paid. Wow. First three games were in Nova Scotia. Didn't play. The fourth game of the season in Maine, I dress. I run Glenn Cochran behind the net. He oh. fucking chops me, drop our gloves, boom. I cut him really good Ooh, under he's the tough, eyes. He's tough, dude. He's a tough boy. Real tough kid. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we both, he goes nuts. I go nuts. We get kicked out of the game. The next morning, Bert Templeton calls me. He says, hey, Chris, you got a few minutes? Come down the room. And they, yeah. I come down the room. He goes, "Hey, great job last night." He said, "Do you have an agent?" I'm the, no. I don't have an agent. No. Fuck. I was a 17 round pick. Like someone's gonna fucking represent me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, "Well, you better find one because Montreal wants to sign your contract." I'm there. No wow. way. I signed a contract uh, a week later. If I had an agent, I would have signed it that day. Sure. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, so I scrambled. Uh, called Bobby Orr. He put me in touch with someone in Boston. Oh. And, um, you know, the rest is history. So you'd fought a lot off the ice, but those two first, those are your first fights on the ice that you had, correct? Mom? Yeah. Uh, those are my first on the ice and okay. I did good in both of them. Um, funny, um, you know, I, I had to learn, you know, and I, I, I'll never forget, uh, playing the Bruins at the forum my first year. I fought Jonathan, did good. Um, and then, uh, O'Reilly later. And after the O'Reilly fight, what happened? Uh, O'Reilly challenged me, uh, dropped my gloves. I knew he was a lefty, and I threw one punch and hit him. And he come back and hit me with two lefts. And the second one, fucking just, like, the blood was pouring out of my head. And I'll never forget, I went in the penalty box, and, you know, uh, uh, the pride was really wounded, and I was like, fuck. You know, I love O'Reilly. Just yeah, fucking sure. kicked my ass, prick. And <laughs> sure enough, uh, I sat there and I said, if I fight like that, every time I get in a fight, I won't last long in the sleep. I said, I have to change my ways. I have to be smart about how I'm fighting. I can't go to toe-to-toe -to -toe every night with these guys that are fucking so much bigger than me. So I swore to myself I wouldn't let that happen again, and it never did, really. Um and I would always, I, I, I'd get in tight on the bigger guys, and most of them were bigger. Sure. And I would try and um, tie up their strength, whether a lefty or a righty, and then pick my way through the fight. And I started throwing uppercuts. I started switching hands, doing some different things. And, you know, I, I won my share of fights. I, you know, tied my share of fights. And... I lost my share of fights, but the times I lost, I didn't look like I lost right. too, bad. too bad. And that's the key. When you have teammates yeah. that look at you like, man, you win a fight, they're all like, yeah. you lose a fight, they're still like, but they're like, holy shit, he got his ass kicked. We're yeah. in trouble. Uh, you know, you know. But that's, just, that's just going to happen, though, right? Yeah, that's just going to happen. Affect, yeah. It can affect the team in, sure. in, yeah. in a negative way. So I always try to make sure I hung in there and just, um, did the best I could every fight.
Chris, you were known as a, a good second half fighter. Was that something you planned or just worked out that way? It's funny you say that because John Davidson said it one night uh, uh, and someone pointed it out to me and John knew. Um, I, I think we were playing uh, Pittsburgh. Maybe it was Troy Loney I was fighting. And uh, John Davidson said it. Watch out here. You think this fight is over. It's not. Chris Nyland's a good second half fighter. I have, I've always had good Max VO2. Um, right up there, second on the team uh, in Boston, behind Ray Bork. Uh, and Montreal was right up there, top three. And, you know, it's funny, the story with that. It's funny you say that. I was a good second-half fighter because I, I could go on, you know. Um, I'm a stallion. No. Uh, <laughs> I could go along. And um, I, I, I think back to um, shit. Yeah. You know, we were in Boston and we had them beginning of the season. We had those tests they do on everybody. You know, how many push-ups, how many sit-ups, strength tests, max VO2 tests. So we get the results back and Wes Waltz came in. He was 18 years old, just drafted. And we get the results of going around the room and, you know, Mike Boyle says, yeah, Ray Bork, number one. Uh, Chris Nyland, number two, read out the, 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 the numbers. And then he go through the team. And Wes Walsh was last. Oh. So Wes gets out. He goes, what the fuck, Mike? What, what did he fucking tell? I can't believe these says. He said, what? What? He goes, you know, I watched Knuckles the morning we took those tests. 34 years old. He had three cigarettes, three cups of coffee, and he comes in second. <laughs> and Mike said, Wes, Wes, it's it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's it's hereditary. You, I mean, yeah. it does have something to do with the way you, you keep in shape, but a lot of it is hereditary, and he got good genes. Yeah. And I did, and the kid was shocked. Oh, but it was so funny because the whole room started cracking up, and it was yeah. true. Three yeah. cups of I don't know about the three cigarettes, but I had three cups of coffee. Were you smoking yeah. cigarettes at the time? Were you a cigarette smoker? I smoke one. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but I did. You know, yeah. I, I vape now. I, I quit the smoking with the vape, but yeah, I, I smoke between periods with ghee and, you know, oh. I, it, you know, it's nerve wracking sometimes. And I'm not, oh, yeah. you know, having to go out and fight a guy that's fucking 6'3, six, 6'4, six, you know. Now, you a lot know, of times, like, you, you, a lot of the fighters talk about like the night before, right? Like, you know, you're going into Boston. Never. So you really not. Wow. Never. I slept like a baby the night before, and I slept like a baby the afternoon of the game. Wow. The only thing is, once I woke up in the afternoon, I had to go right to the rink. I couldn't hang around the house. I couldn't do anything. Right. So I used to go to, at home. I'd be at the forum. I'd go down. Um, i get there about, I don't know, 8 o'clock game back in the day. I'd be there about 4.30, and wow. LaFleur would already be there. He, he'd get there at 3 o'clock. Right. He was there all day, LaFleur. And, um, yeah, it was, it, <laughs> yeah, that's where it started. We'd talk before the game and, you know, he'd be taping his sticks, eating potato chips and having a hot dog. Oh, was that right before the games? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Not every game, but there was, yeah. Flaw oh. was a different breed, right? Well, it's, it's funny. I, we did a show the other day and somebody was talking about the drinking. And I said, well, would you, would you have played better, Tom, if you didn't drink back in the day? And I said, well. I don't think so. That's like everybody. That's that was the culture back then, right? Is right? yeah, it was a culture. I often think, oh, could I have been? But listen, I don't believe I. There was a couple nights, yeah. night before the game where you might have had a little, but yeah. very rarely. I always respected that part of it. I'd always have a couple of beers with dinner the night before a game. Sure. I wouldn't drink heavily, but I drank. I, you know, when you look at my, my, my all the thir 13 years I played, I there wasn't many nights I didn't have um, alcohol. Yeah. Like, and, and I honestly, I used it as a tool uh, to self-medicate, sure. um, especially during during some of those nights where I had a rough night and I was having a tough time, um, whether it was mentally, physically, and emotionally after fighting it takes a toll on you and you can never show it you know you can't so you know to be able to numb yourself and self-medicate it the alcohol worked for me until well, it again, did yeah and again that was part of the culture right everybody did it so not that it yeah. makes it right it doesn't make it right that we did it but that was if you know yeah, 
Yeah, it was, it was almost that if you didn't go out and have beers with the boys, you weren't much of a team player, right? It's like you're an odd duck, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, we have one guy on our team who didn't drink, Ryan Walter. Yeah. God bless him. He's a right. wonderful guy. Um, he's a born again Christian. He's a Christian athlete, and he would show up every day. We had to go across the street to the Cabinet, the tavern in Montreal, and have lunch. And we'd sit there and drink. And Wally would have his tomato juice, and he'd oh. shoot the bridge. He was a team guy. He was. You know, he'd be there, but he he just didn't drink. And yeah, I, I played with Robbie Fatorik, and he was like that too. He, yeah, right. drink. he was always there at the team. He was a team guy. And that was that was the key, right? If you did, weren't going to drink, you still hang out with the guys. Yeah. yeah. So how many years did you spend in the minors? I only spent 49 games. Oh, okay. I, I was down there, and I think one of the reasons I got called up, obviously the fighting. I, I had 304 minutes in penalty. In 49 games? Yeah. <laughs> I was fighting every night, Tom. Wow. And then – um, I had 15 goals and 10 assists. I had 25 points in 29. Wow. So I had a point every two games for a slug, right? right? A guy that fights, that's not bad numbers. So yeah. I got called up and, um, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I had a lot of help. Uh, certainly when I got to Montreal, I had a lot of help in, um, improving my game and, and being able to play at that level consistently. Right. So one of the guys I admire the most, and I got to play with him at the end of my career is Larry Robinson. Big bird, so, yeah. When you walk in the room there and Larry Robinson, like Guy Lafleur is there, but those guys you think like it's a Montreal form. It's Larry Robinson, it's Guy Lafleur, Bob Guy, yeah. all those guys. Well, wow, that's gonna be a little intimidating, or how'd you how'd you take it? Oh, I was first of all, I hated all of them, you know, because oh. I was a big Bruins fan growing oh, up. Right. I hated them. I was drafted in '78, and you know, I was still pulling for the Bruins '79-80 when the Habs won their fourth in a row. I wanted the Bruins to beat them, and they didn't. I came came in uh, uh, 78, 79, sorry, that year. And I came in 79. And, um, yeah, it was intimidating, but uh, it was funny. Yeah. Funny uh, uh, to be around all those guys. I was nervous as all hell, but, oh, sure. you know, once we played hockey back in the day, you just scrimmage, right, in training camp. Right. And, you know, I just did the best I could. And, uh, I, you know, I hit a few guys. I didn't fight anybody. I think, um, and then I, I, I got my picture taken with the Canadians jersey on, oh, right. and I'm like, shit, do I have a chance here? What the yeah. hell? Why are they taking a picture? Because if I'm going, in, I'm not staying here, in Montreal. I'm, a, I'm surely going to Halifax, which I did. But they, it was a good sign because some guys didn't get their picture taken. Wow, that's pretty cool. And some guys did. So it's like, okay, you're going to be in the 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 book they put out every year. And uh, sure enough, uh, it, it, it just sparked a few things in my head, you know, thinking, shit, do I really have a chance? And then when I got to Nova Scotia, um, the, there was quite a learning curve, but um, I picked up on it pretty quick with some help, with some help. So a lot of brawls, but one of the biggest brawls I ever watched was the pregame brawl with the Flyers. Yeah. That was that. You get tied up with Dave Brown there. Yeah. We, Christ, we must have fought for 15 minutes yeah. uh, off. You know, off and on, taking a rest, fighting right. again. And um, he, have a jer- he has a jersey off too, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, I told somebody afterwards, uh, I wish I thought of that. And we did a thing called Fight Night in Philly oh. uh, a couple of years ago and went down. And they kind of relive all those big moments. O'Reilly was there talking about him and Schultz fighting and me and Brownie. And I said to Dave, you know, on stage, all these people were out there. And I said, geez, I wish – I, you know, I, 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 people call you a big dummy. You're not too dumb. I said, you come out with no yeah. jersey on. He said, believe me, I didn't think of that. He said, I just always take my jersey off and I wanted to get out there real quick. So I just come out with no jersey. And I said, yeah. Um, and, and he went right for you too, right? He was going after you. Well, kind of things we drifted around. I went at, I was with big shell Samuelson at oh, first. And I didn't right. want to fight him. He's not yeah. a fighter. I'm like, yeah. Fuck, I'm going to look like a dog fighting him. <laughs> And I, I I said, I know if I, I don't find Brown, someone else is going to end up with Brown. And I, I didn't want that. So, um, you know, things kind of moved around a little bit. And then we, we came together. Chelios was trying to keep him away from me because he, he knew Brownie. They played together, I think, oh. in Moose Jar or somewhere. Oh. And Shelly always, you know, I got a picture here in my room up here, uh, up the top there going out O'Reilly. Oh, okay. Um, if you can see it, yeah, see sure. it? yeah, 
okay? Shelly trying to get in the middle <laughs> and stop the fight. He always – what a teammate he was. Yeah, but He was a good team player, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. But, uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. You know? The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So how many years did you have in Montreal? I played uh, just about 10. You know, I, I went to New York there uh, and then ended up in Boston for a year and a half, and I got picked up uh, off a wave as the last half of um, my season in 92, and I kind of came back to the curtain. Oh, Tom, we should go back though. We shouldn't gloss over the '86 season. Uh, Chris was a huge part of the, the cup. Yeah, yeah, beat us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to rub that in. Let's talk about yeah. the semifinal series. Yeah, God. Yeah, God. Uh, listen, we had a really we had an easy time. I want easy. I don't want to say easy time, but really, when I look at it, um, the time against the Bruins that was. You know, when you play best of five, we beat them three straight. Boom, done. Right. Then we played Hoffman. Man, I'm telling you, they had – right? You look at the team they had back then, right? Hoffman had a great team. Ron Francis, right. Deneen, um, Samuelson, Liu. They had an awesome hockey team, Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we ended up uh, going to game seven against them. Babbitt scored with less than a minute left to tie the game at the forum. And I'll never forget the feeling. Like the whole bench kind of sunk. Right. You know, we went back in the room and Bob Gainey kind of brought everybody back front and center and Larry. And then closed the musical and off we went. And then we ended up playing the Rangers. And um, I'll never forget Pierre LaRouche trying to suck up to me at the opening face-off. Oh, oh is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, fuck off, Pierre. Oh, that's funny. No friends out here, buddy. Sorry. Oh. And did you and, know him before? Oh, yeah. Well, I played oh. with him in Montreal, right? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Yep. And what a pair of hands. I'm telling yeah. you. This, he, right? You you play yeah. with him. Yeah, like, he had a pair yeah. of hands just thick. And, uh, yeah, he wanted to be buddy-buddy. And I'm like, this fuck. <laughs> I've never – well, we were conference final the year before against the Islanders. We got up two games to nothing. They spanked us four straight. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no, you know. We gotta get, we gotta get through this team, the Rangers, and right. you know Patrick stood in his head. Remember the overtime yeah, game? He was good. You guys had what sixty shots for Christ's sake? Yeah, he was good, and Ooh, he stood in his head. Yeah. But we had a good solid um, team, team defensively. We had a good blend of uh, veterans and 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 rookies, and you know Patrick and Claude Lemieux being probably the two biggest. Right? They yeah. were one two in the con smite that year, right. and we went on to Calgary and ended up beating them 4-1. So, but it's the toughest thing I ever did in hockey. I'll tell What's you that? that. What's that? that, winning, that, that winning yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Going at the end, it's like people don't realize yeah. how much it takes out of you. I was, I think I went in at 203. I was like 192. Oh, uh, is that right, yeah? Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was all sucked up, black eye, limping. I tore yeah. ligaments in my ankle. Oh. Yeah, it was like the last... Last second last game. Wow. Yeah. Chris, how insane was Montreal when you guys won? Yeah, nuts. I mean, you can see the crowd up here yeah. behind me. That was um there was seven miles of that from City Hall. Not seven, sorry. Probably about five. Seven kilometers. 
from City Hall to the old forum, uh, down St. Catherine Street, and we were all in convertibles. And there were people from storefront to storefront. It was just jammed. The car had to part the the people, you know, and it was it, it was insanity. Over a million people, like just a awesome, awesome day. I remember my mom and dad. They had a bus for, uh, you know, wives and parents and stuff like that. They had one of them trolley buses, and they were all on there drinking. Oh, and oh, sorry. Right. Just remember how fun my mom and dad had. Right. You know, all the driving in the rink, all the sure. everything, and to see them enjoy it like they did, it was just. That's great. For me, that was. I mean, believe me, I had a fun day too. But to see my parents enjoy it like they right. did. It was, that's priceless. Have you ever dreamed of being a pro hockey player? Skating on the same professional ice as your hockey heroes? Hockey XP gives you that chance. Join us and live your pro hockey dream for one night. A Hockey XP event gives you the full professional experience. A ticket to an NHL game. A chance to network with other hockey enthusiasts. Meet new teammates and make new connections. An event-themed jersey and a swag bag full of sponsored gifts. You'll dress in pro locker rooms and sit on pro benches. And you'll play a full game on professional ice with professional referees. Join us Tuesday, March 28th at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Or Thursday, April 6th at the UBS Arena on Long Island for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Spots are selling out fast. Go to HockeyXP.com to register. Now, were you married during your career? Yeah. Yeah. Kids and everything? Kids and you playing? I had three kids. I had um, uh, two of them here in Montreal, and one was born in New York. Uh, Colleen Colleen and Christopher were born here, and Tara was born down in uh, Pochester United Hospital. Oh, that's right. That's gone now. Not there anymore, right? Yeah. 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 Crazy, right? Yeah. So how'd your career finally end then? Um, well, my last year in Boston, uh, I was there and, um, I, um, things weren't going good with, uh, bonus was the coach and, you know, things weren't going good. I was struggling with, you know, that dreaded half step, you know, I was still fighting. I was still doing my job that way, but, you know, I, I was getting tougher. You know, I, I, once you get, get toys in the attic, and, you know, and you start thinking too much, right. you're done. Right. And I was thinking too much. Thinking and, when you were fighting? No, just on the bench. I go out for a shift and I come back and I'd be like, fuck, oh, I used to be able to get to that part. Wow. Right. Like, uh, you know, not the fighting so much. It was getting tougher because, come on, 20-year-old oh kids are coming in now. Oh 19-year-old kids. Yeah. You know, I remember Boston. Two games we played. We played Hartford. No, Chicago first, then Hartford. Rookie comes in. Um, the Grim Reaper, Stu Grimson. Oh, wow. Yes. I fight Stu. Oh, did you? Oh, wow. And then the next night, Jim McKenzie. Oh, he's good, wow. too. He's a tough kid. And li- listen, I fought them. I did okay. I hung in there. But I would get in the penalty box. I'm going, fuck. Yeah. Just getting tougher. Yeah, no kidding. Tougher. Yeah, you got to be saying you to yourself, know? what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you start, you get those toys in the attic like I was having. Um, You know, I had, I was, you know, I struggled with it a little. I said, you know, I'm losing it here a little bit. It's getting, this is getting tough. I, and you don't want to admit it, but, sure. you know, and you can't to your teammates. Yeah. And they can, they're not stupid. They can see what's going on, but. You know, I, I still, I tried my best, but I, I was losing my fastball. And, you know, I, I ended up um, going back to Montreal. I was put on waivers. Serge picked me up, uh, who traded me. My He was my teammate, too. And a guy I absolutely love and is a good friend today. Uh, picked me back up and, um, you know, let me have my curtain call. And, oh, okay. You know, cool. I wanted to play one more year, but... Uh, it wasn't to be, and I said I'm not going to go chase it, and I said, I'll be happy, and I I just walked away at that point. So what did you start doing for work when you retired? Um, nothing right away. Kind of took a year, 
bounced around. Then I ended up working with John Hancock Life Insurance Company. I was in community relations and Olympic projects. They were Olympic sponsor. So, uh, yeah, I did that for a few years. Then it uh, got into the insurance business, which I hated. And I left shortly afterwards. And then I, a uh, couple of startups, different things. And it, one company called visit.com. And you know what visit was? No. Visit was just like Cameo. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. And the, you know, the technology wasn't there yet. We had the, I mean, the tech was what they, what's, uh, now we got Cameo, uh, Zoom. What, what was the other thing? Skype. Skype and oh, Skype yeah. was, and, and I was enlisting people, um, trying to get them to say they'd be on the website and, and, saying you know we'll pay it so much an hour but you know the way cameo did it it was yeah. pretty cool you yeah. name your own price blah 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 yeah. and if people want to talk to you they do but you know the the, the technology was so much more advanced at yeah. this point yeah. and when i think back like we were just like we were early and the concept was there but we were early and um so we did that and then it stopped and you know i had had a few surgeries and you know the pain arthritis and you know my knees my hand a lot of stuff and you know i got it i ended up getting addicted to pain medication so you got on the pain medication that's when it all started then like you've been very open and i've been on shows with you yeah. before talking about your substance abuse so yeah. that's how it started so you were drinking beers like every other hockey player was but mm. it's, right yeah i was drinking quite a bit and yeah you know, I was drinking like I was still playing for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which isn't normal. And then, um, you know, one surgery, another surgery. Um, I got going on the pills uh, quickly, uh, became addicted to Percocet. And, you know, taking like way too many. Um, now, did you, then, know you were taking, did you know did you know you were taking too many at the time? They just you were just taking. Oh yeah, I knew. Like okay. not at the very beginning, I didn't. I, you know, I just knew. You know, I take two and I, oh, I felt good. You know, feel better. That's great. And then I would take two. You know, four days later, it wasn't doing the same. Wasn't having the same effect on me. Okay. So then I end up taking four. And okay, that's more like it. And then then it's six. Then it's eight. Then it's ten. Then it's it's out of hand. And then Oxycontin came in, um, you know, the wonder drug. And uh, I got addicted to that and uh, took it to a whole other level. And yeah. Now, you, you're still married at the time with kids? Yeah. Are they aware yeah. of what's going on? Um, you know, just, you know, crazy life, living crazy. Right. Uh, I was out of hand. Um, you know, I, I um, ended up going to, in 2000 treatment. I went to treatment the first time and I got out and I stayed sober about two and a half years and started drinking again, then back to the pills. And um, I went to treatment again in 09 and then I relapsed again. I ended up on the pills and then on heroin. Um, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't good. Um, and what's happening with your personal life at this time? Your wife, kids, job? Yeah, I ended up divorced in 05. You know, I started drinking again, didn't get out of, like I said, out of control. And, um, you know, m my divorce uh, certainly had nothing to do with my ex-wife, who was nothing but a saint. She just couldn't deal with it anymore. She tried to help me and try and, you know, she gave me, the opportunity to keep the marriage together. I just, I couldn't like, you know, I was so addicted and so lost right. that, um, yeah, it wasn't happening. We ended up divorced, uh, uh, which, you know, we talk about people say, Oh, you got any regrets in life? That's my biggest regret. Honestly, <laughs> like I, I failed at my marriage and I, I failed that woman. Uh, and I hurt her in ways that I never wanted to. Sure. Hurt anybody, and I just does, does she know that you feel that way now? Oh, yeah, yeah, good, good, yeah. I'm we're friends, and I've made amends, and you know, we've we've stayed uh in touch, certainly for our children, and 
you know um yeah so now were you able during all this to stay in your kids lives too oh yeah um you know i um i've done a lot of work personal work on myself uh, in recovery and um one of those things is certainly making amends to people you've wronged and hurt along the way and saying sorry is one thing yeah but that ring it rings hollow after you say sorry too many fucking times sure. so uh to really make amends and have a living amends um and, and showing people that yeah. yes i have changed uh yes i don't drink and do drugs anymore the drinking and drugs is really a symptom of the real problem right. and um you got to be willing to take a good look at yourself and be honest with right. yourself so what is the real problem then? for me yeah. um listen there was a, a combination of things uh um the way i grew up my environment right. things i learned in my environment uh, some of the uh, trauma, if you will, uh, as a young boy, things that I won't get into, but um, um, violence right. <clears throat> and and thinking that it never affected me. Right. Uh, well, it that, did. Yeah. Right. That's it what did. I wrote too. Like the, the the drinking and drugs and everything. Very often, the addiction comes from trauma when you're a young kid, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. If you look at anybody who suffers from uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, it's usually somebody who has suffered a trauma in life. Uh, and and some one person's tr- trauma might not be the same as another yeah. one's. And you could look at it and say, oh, that's not that bad <laughs> until you right. fucking live it and, um, and living it and not being able to understand it. Um, sure. Can, and, can be and of course, you've had, you're having a successful life too. You're playing in the National Hockey League, so you think to yourself, "There's nothing wrong, right?" I mean, everybody's drinking beer. I'm drinking beer. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it rears its ugly head in different ways, right? And right. you know, certainly a lot of the things that I had to deal with, um, and correct, served me well sure. in my career. They served yeah. me well. They were actually really great assets to have, but. Sure. Uh, it comes a point where um, you can no longer um, continue that behavior and it's and you're lost right, right. and you don't know what to do with it then and it comes out in ugly ways so uh, to address those things and and make the changes that you need to make to have a live a healthy good life and yeah, you know totally. um, be honest be open and 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 actually have your hand out to help other people in life. Right. Yeah. Um, is a good way to live life for me. Yeah, def- definitely is. How bad did it finally get then with the drugs? You know, yeah, I, you know, I overdosed it, um, and, and was was brought back. I woke up in an emergency room in um, Boston, and um, that was the last time um, I ever did a drink or a drug. Right. And, so you were in, you were in and out of rehab a couple of times before that. That's yeah. finally got to be the worst. And then you said to yourself, okay, that's it. I've got to. Yeah. Yeah. And I decided it gets really serious. I, I knew what to do, right. but I wasn't doing it when I fell back into the addiction. And um, it's something I have to deal with on a daily basis. And I do. Yeah. I take it seriously now. Uh, I don't think I have this thing licked because it's right up there on my shoulder waiting to dig sure. the claws in again. And I, I, I have to, um, you know, my, my, my sobriety is based on my spiritual condition and how good my spiritual condition is, um, really, um, helps me to stay sober on a daily basis. Now we were able to kind of, I guess, I don't know how I'd say it the right way, kind of resolve, the initial what the problem was the violence when you were younger oh yeah uh so i made sense of all that i've addressed right. it in a healthy way in a healthy environment and um um was able to get through it you don't get over shit. yeah you don't just tuck it away and forget about it you got to get through it and right. uh, with therapy 
uh, with a healthcare professional who certainly um, is is well versed in trauma. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was, it's liberating in a lot of ways. And yeah, you know, how's, how's I, always butted, I always butted heads with my dad, you know, yeah, for whatever reasons. And, yeah. you know, I never understood. I always looked at my big hero, my hero, my dad. I never looked at him as a little boy right. and what he went through in his life. Right. And I, I know he, <laughs> he had a tough time growing up. He had three sisters. You know, uh, he took care. He took care of his mother, young age. His dad was an alcoholic who certainly wasn't around um, right. for him a lot, and he had to take care of his mother and three sisters right. at a young age. You know, he, you know, kids. You grow up. You're supposed to yeah. get direction and live a good life and have fun. Get out and do stuff with your friends and go to school and all those things. My father, he, he had to get to work right away as a young kid. He never. And help me help me understand and and him a whole lot more than I ever could. Sure. Was was he aware of all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've talked. And oh, so your father's still alive? No, he passed away um, November thirtieth a year ago, just over a year ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, I talked to him on Zoom the morning he passed. Uh, he was watching the Canadians game that night uh -huh. against. Uh, I forget who they were playing, but we were texting back and forth. Wow. My mother, he was taking care of my mom who has dementia. Mm -hmm. And she's he's been taking care of for about uh, nine years. And right. you know, he just it wore him out. You know, yeah, it just true. wore him out and uh couldn't take it any longer. Wow. And your mother, she's still alive then or she's passed? Yep, she is. She's fit as a fiddle, healthy as a horse. Oh, okay. But wow. mentally, uh, yeah, you know, the dementia stuff it just it's a terrible disease it's hard terrible. around everybody it's hard around the family members really oh, my father terrible. my father had as well yeah yeah right yeah terrible and to how, go through yeah how's your relationship with your kids great you know my get along great my kids um right. my daughter colleen's a nurse um you know there's a couple grandkids with her and nolan and and, oh, and chloe and then um my son christopher has uh three three kids and wow. yeah awesome i got five grandkids and then my youngest daughter tara uh she's doing well so uh nice. chris electrician he's in the union oh, labor's yeah. union and yeah so life is good yeah yeah so uh do you love yourself now do i love myself yeah i've always loved myself oh, okay all right i've always loved myself but i didn't know it Right. at times sure. and i certainly the addiction piece um when i was at my low point uh i lost that love for myself right. for sure no question you can't love yourself you can't love anybody else you don't yeah. have a shame. I had this you, yeah yeah if you can't get honest with yourself yeah totally uh, you can't be honest with anybody else either i had this conversation before with another guy I played with jim thompson and he's gone through the addiction and everything as well himself yeah. We talked about how, listen, it's fantastic playing in the National Hockey League. It was great. But in some ways, it kind of sets you back in life, right? Because we're living that kind of phony world. We don't ever have to face things like that where we learn to love ourselves, right? And people yeah. telling us, how, yeah. So it's yeah. great. I, I wouldn't change the thing, but. Yeah. No, listen, we, we you play that, you have that career and it's like you're a kid. You're yeah. a kid. You're playing a kid. You're a man playing a kid's game. And, and listen, I loved every minute of it. I had a blast. I yeah. loved playing the NHL. But when it's taken away, you're not prepared. I don't care. You can yeah. have all the money in the world. But if you're not prepared for that time in your life, that next chapter, you will. It's very hard to find anything that is as fulfilling yeah. as doing what you did as an athlete, right. as a professional hockey player. I, at least I know in my case, I can only speak for myself. But I've seen countless others and heard countless others yeah. say the same thing. It's yeah. very difficult to find anything that's as fulfilling. Right. Well, and you grew up being treated a certain way too, right? Everybody's telling you how great you are and you do this favor for you and help you out and all those free free dinners. Then all of a sudden the game's over with and you're just a regular guy on the street now. I mean, yeah, yes, well, it, you know, it, again, my, I'll never forget the night I come out after a game at the forum. And, and you grew up, I mean, you grew up on a farm, right? Grandfather and yeah. your father. Yeah. You know, taught you that 
you know, the, the, the value of hard work yeah, and, totally. and, and getting up and going every day. Well, my dad taught me those things. And, you know, I remember I come out of the uh, locker room and into the garage and a bunch of fans there and stuff. And everybody asked him for autograph and pictures. And then my dad, mom, my dad stood there and watched me. I could see him out of the corner of my eye. And afterwards, he, we're going out to get in the car. And he said to me, hey, I'm going to tell you right now. You keep your fucking feet on the ground. Oh, Don't you ever fucking big cheese anybody. Don't you fucking big cheese any, anybody. Oh. And he was always that way. He even told me like as a kid at school. And I tell you, a lot of what he taught me shaped me. You know, at school, he, he used to tell me, Chris, Chris, I don't ever want that principal calling me, telling me you're fucking picking on some kid. You're right. fucking... You know, the, the fat kid, the kid with glasses, right, what? Right. I don't you, I, I better never get that fucking phone call or I'll oh. kick your ass all around this neighborhood. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, 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 he really meant that. And it showed in the way he did things in his life. But yeah. he told me if that principal calls me and you end up, you end up getting in a fight because you stuck up for a kid, I don't have a problem with that. But if you more go on yeah. and shit and big cheese, that ain't gonna work. And you know, he he taught me some some good things. Sure. Like I'll never forget, I wanted to quit hockey freshman year in high school. My coach, John Bad Eyes Glenn, <laughs> Bad Eyes. It's funny, his brother Kevin used to say, "My brother, fuck, he had a fucking NHLer on his team freshman, and he fucking sat him on the bench all year." <laughs> Then you wonder why they call him bad eyes. Bad eyes. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you I was a great hockey player and deserved to play every shift, but I didn't deserve to fucking sit in the right. bench all game. Right. And I remember the game I was going to quit, and like I come out, I was dejected. And my father, my father actually bumped bad eyes, hit him with his shoulder, and I said, "Hey, how come my fucking kid can't play? He's sitting the fucking bench all game." And, you know, I shit myself. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm done now. If I ain't playing now, I won't even fucking dress now. But I remember I went up and got in the car. And he said, you okay? I said, no, I'm thinking of quitting. Fucking hockey sucks. I had to fucking sit in the bench watch everybody else play. And he said, well, listen, you can quit if you want. You can go right ahead and quit. But he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. You quit, it'll, it'll fucking haunt you for the rest right. of your life. Yeah. You won't only remember it, but it will haunt you. Hmm. And um, I was like, holy shit, really? It'll haunt me? And sure enough, um, he said you can do that or you can start doing things to get yourself to become a better player. Yeah. And, you know, I skated. I worked out. I rollerbladed. I shot pucks off the schoolyard wall every day. And I just kept getting at it. I didn't make varsity. Uh, at Catholic Memorial until I was a junior. Wow. Some kids play as a freshman, some play as a sophomore. I didn't do, make it till I was a junior. Wow. And, you know, I played both those years. And, you know, you know, a late bloomer, I guess. Good job. Good job. Those are great stories, right? The influence your parents have on you, the difference they make in your life. I mean, my parents, same thing. Like you mentioned my father, grandfather. Yeah. And right. you don't really you don't really notice it at the time. It's later on in life that you look back and say, like, geez, thank God they were there, or else I wouldn't have made it, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I wanted to bring up and you know talking about guys and some of the issues in hockey, but your former teammate, Mark Pavlich. Yeah. Right? He, he was a teammate, right? Yes, he was. And, yep. and here's a guy who had some demons, right? And Here's yeah. a guy that slipped through the cracks, and and yeah. it's a shame. I know Barry Beck is outspoken about this, and you know, I, I, I don't know how. I guess I do, but it's like, how do we let a guy like Mark Pavlich slip through the cracks? Yeah. And yeah, he wanted to be a recluse. He wanted to be off on, a, but still, yeah. the, he needed some help, and he needed guys to band together. And we always talk about the hockey community sticking together now pat lafontaine is a big part of uh the behavioral health program now he okays guys nice. if yeah if you're a former player um and you're having issues um you know you you, you can go through the alumni and they right. put you in touch but he usually okays the funds to right. get people help and you know it's just a shame 
Um, yeah. Well, part of the issue, and you know this too, part of the issue is the mental health issues come in. These guys are adults. They, unless they reach out for get to uh, ask for help, you can't really go to them and force them to get help. There's a yeah. couple of other guys you probably know living on the streets. There's just probably many guys living on the streets. Well, they, yeah, it's like Joe Murphy. They tried with yeah. him and he totally. just, you know, it, and it's sad. It's sad. But, you know, and you talk about trauma and you see those yeah. guys and where they are. And listen, it's hard to transition from hockey into the real world, right? Yeah. It is. Oh, pro sports, anybody. But, you know, when you look back and you think of those guys and yeah. what was it? What was that trauma in their lives that they could never address or get yeah, the help to address? And yes, you have to want to do it. And what happened to me? I had to hit rock bottom. Sure. Until and say, listen, I need help. And I, I was, I was down and out, and I was uh, miserable. I was a shell of my former self, and I was desperate. I had the gift of desperation. Yeah. And I, I thank God today that. Uh, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a holy roller. Um, you know, I'm a born again Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm not a born again Christian. I, I'm certainly living uh, a, a spiritual good life. Sure, right. um, I try to, um, you know, match my actions with 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 love and and, sure. and you know being there for other people and being a, a good person today. And you know, I spent enough time worrying about myself and my addiction sure that, um you know i just want to live that good life now and and you are you are brother. you are help anybody else um and I, I i love being able to uh, help people who struggle with addiction and i have and i will continue to do that it's a i can't keep what i have unless i give it away so it's um definitely it's pretty cool to be um um living that good life now yes, it is definitely and what are you doing for work now then what's going on i'm doing the podcast i'm yeah. doing some speaking things uh i hey, what's, what's the podcast called uh raw knuckles podcast oh, you gotta knuckles. check it out tom the yes, raw yes. Knuckles podcast i had jeff molson on um oh yesterday he'll be coming out uh today okay. pierre gervais former equipment manager for the montreal canadians come out and oh he had it he he said a lot of stuff that went on the, in the room. Oh, talked oh. about PK Subban. Oh. Talked about Max Pacioretty saying nobody liked him. Oh, yeah. Not a good guy. Oh, yeah, the trainer. Oh. So a lot of people say he crossed the line, right? What, right. what happens in the room stays in the room. Yeah. Anyway, we had Pierre on. Uh, that yeah. comes out at noon, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, nice. Yeah, we had a lot of um, some the current players and stuff on and yeah. some Retire guys I play with, Chelios, um, Big Larry's oh, going to be coming on with me. So excellent, Larry Robinson. Wow. And go. then um, I was um, I'm a I was named an ambassador of the Montreal Canadiens with um, Patrice Brisebois, Vincent Domfus, and Guy Carbonell. Wow. So excellent. I am the first English guy, right, to ever be an ambassador for the Montreal Canadiens, cool. and certainly the first American, but yeah. The beauty of that is when I look and I think of the guys who came before me, Rocket Rashad, John Beliveau, Guy Lafleur, Evan Conway, all ambassadors of the Montreal wow. Canadiens. That's an honor. Henry Rashad. Yeah. yeah. So for a kid from Boston yeah. up here in Montreal and for them to, you know, put me into that category and again i'm no hall of fame and i'm no superstar but boy to be able to be in that group of ambassadors of the montreal canadians it's like That's i gotta cool. I gotta finish myself and yeah, very cool i do some stuff on the outside here uh with a di couple different companies uh, and um yeah are you, on, are you on facebook or instagram you got a website or anything or? i'm on facebook uh yeah chris nyland okay. my uh family page and knuckles then I'm Instagram, uh, Knuckles Nyland. Good. And then uh, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, oh, Knuckles Twitter boy. Look at you. Look at you. Modern technology. I the raw Knuckles part. I got to tell you, I, when I was doing my radio show here, I had a radio show here for 10 years. Yeah. Okay. I got fired last February uh, because I did not want to get vaccinated for health reasons. Wow. Uh, they denied me and they fired me. 
And that's why I started the podcast. But, um, yeah, so I was – I had a full-time regular yeah. job. Yeah, you will. You will. This podcast will take yeah. So, so now podcast. I'm just kind of finding my way again at the tender age of 64, Tom. 64, that's a great year. That's what I am, too, 64. Rod Gresher's birthday today. I don't know if he's like 67. Is it today? Yeah, yeah. I think it's 67 I, or 68. I can't remember. I'm in February, February 9th. I am. So okay. when yeah. were you? Uh, April 15th. April. So you'll be 65? 65 coming up. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So listen, you know, I know, I know. Uh, listen, uh, I, we didn't know each other until we did that uh, Zoom thing together. And I'm really glad yeah. we got to know each other. I'm really impressed by you. You should be very proud of yourself, what you've done in your life, uh, battling the, all the addiction and the career you had. I just, you know, and again, I, I after I talking about the story, yeah, I wish we had a play together. Now that's the only problem. I get to yeah. get to know you. Yeah. Um, well, listen. Th- thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. You really are an inspiration to people. Keep going. You're a fantastic man. All right, brother. Thanks, Chris. Um, I really appreciate it, man. I wish you luck with uh, your show, and uh, yeah. if you ever want to do it again, I'm always available. Yeah, we will. We will. All right, brother. Good seeing you. All right. Be well. Hey, Tom, so we should talk to our listeners about Celly Salt. One of the reasons I'm such a great cook, because Celly Salt, that's right. Celly Salt comes in three flavors, created by two hockey moms. Yep. I personally tried the this salt, um, garlic, and pepper mix. And, oh, my God, on a bagel with uh, avocado. It was amazing. So the two, it's Pam Auger and then Lou Cannon. I like to call it a loose cannon. So they develop their own salts. They make it out of their own garage. They package themselves. So they're good. And they're real go-getters, too. They're, they're fun people to Absolutely. be around. Yeah. They have three They have three products. They have Celly Salt. They have the um, Puckin' Hot. Hot spicy salt, yeah. and then they have the chirpin herb. It's a great product. Our yeah. listeners, if anyone wants to purchase it on their website, sellysalt.com, they can use code full change, get 10% off. And uh, I, I man, I, I loved it. I tried it, like I said, for the first time, it was amazing. And I use it all the yeah. time. And it's lower sodium too, because you use regular salt, it's just salt. So in their mixture, there's uh, salt, pepper, and then whatever else they put garlic in it, or else paprika. Wow, sellysalt.com, use the coupon code full change. Paprika. There you go. Wow, Knuckles Nyland. Yeah. Guy's a legend. I mean, he is so Boston, and he's a, he's a hero in Montreal. It's crazy. Yeah, you can ask me. He laughed at me when I asked him where he was from. Like, Boston, of course. Yeah. Yeah, how can you not tell? I, mean, I know. He's, he's parking a car, you know? Uh, yeah. what, a, what a story. And I, I didn't realize he had, had these struggles recently. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Like we talked during the show, we never played with each other, but we really got to know each other here lately. And he's a really impressive guy and all the, you know, again, you don't know the person when you're playing against them, but hear his life story and how he's fought through the addiction and everything. Uh, great father. Really good man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's true because it was a great lesson as dad taught him to stick up for your, you know, don't pick on the other kids. Yeah. Stick up for your, yeah. your friends, but your teammates. And he did that his whole career, obviously, everywhere he went. Yeah. And it's interesting with his father, like how he respects him still, but how hard his father yeah. was on. But it, the, he made him a better person, better, better player by being so hard on. Yeah, and he said he resolved. And yeah, he had. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a great story. He's doing great work in Montreal. He was just out with with you know giving Christmas presents to kids in Montreal. So yeah. he's you know he's he's definitely carved out a nice nice life for himself. Yeah, that was a very inspirational show. That was great. Absolutely. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.